Hello, beautiful people. My guest today is Kay He, and Kay is somebody who worked on Wall Street for 15 years and felt numb and empty inside, and so he started to work for himself and figure out how he could best do that, and what he settled on was a newsletter or a website called Rad Reads that now has more than 30,000 entrepreneurs, investors, and executives who receive the Rad Reads newsletter every week. And he's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, CNN, and Time. And he is somebody who's a deep thinker, and he's a meditator, and he asks questions of death, of suffering. And this was such a beautiful conversation because Kay is open and willing to ask deep questions and to listen for the results. I hope you enjoy this deep meditative look into our own psychology and the big questions of life. And yeah, let's get right into the episode with Kay He. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Hey, it is an absolute pleasure. Second time on the podcast. I was just re-listening to our first episode and I just couldn't help but notice the same but different in the approaches and and it was cool to it's cool to see us or hear us at a different point in, in our lives and i'm gonna link it down below but uh just thank you for coming back here man i really appreciate oh, it thank you danny it, like i said on before we went live it's just been so rad to watch watch you your show you, you grow as a human uh and and i'm honored to be back again and i'm ready to rip yeah so I, i've noticed you've been on a bunch of different podcasts over the past week even what's the what's causing you to to be appear on so many pods yeah you know it's a it's a good question one is that um i i love i just love talking I love talking. I love hanging. Uh, I think I got a lot of fun ideas to discuss with smart people, uh, and so I'm always down to uh, to to have great conversations. Uh, I think the second was that you know I kind of you know I was even joking with you. I'm like, oh, are you going to have me back after having you know Gary V and you know all these legends on your show? I think I kind of got over this. A uh, little bit of imposter syndrome where it's like, well, you know, I think a big one for me in podcasts is I don't have a book, right? Mm. I don't have a book. And so I have this like mental block that because I don't have a book, I don't have an excuse to get on people's podcasts, which I know in my heart of hearts is is not accurate, but I still get these like pangs of imposter syndrome. It's like, well, you know, look at this person with this bestseller or James Clear with this or, you know. And so I'm kind of like working to get over that um, that block. And then the third thing is that um, personally, I'm going through a different series, uh, you know, seasons of life, seasons of entrepreneurship, and a really powerful, big season that um, that I'm very proud of is moving out of solo creator land. 
and building a team and payroll and policies and weekly meetings and expense reimbursements and all of that stuff. And I'm super stoked about that. I'm super stoked because I never thought it's what I wanted, Hmm. right? I thought that I became a creator to avoid doing all that stuff. And now I'm like voluntarily bringing it in. I'm doing it in a way that I think is really different. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is it's not motivated by money. Hmm. Money is not the driving force. Creating and building is the driving force, just with more people. And then the third is that, uh, related to the second, is I hope that other people, whether it's a team, whether it's another creator, whether it's like um, a small business, whether it's a team in a giant business, can hear some of these principles that you know we've developed over so long and be like, yeah, we could do that too, right? We could do that. We could, we could shut off our email at 6 p.m. or we could not send Slack messages on the weekend or we could have an unlimited vacation policy. Um, and I just hope that other people can see that there's another way, right? Mm-hmm. There's another way, and you know, after seven years of being at it, like hopefully, uh, hopefully, I've earned the, the the right to talk about it and and to to share it, and uh, that's what's 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 got me excited to to get back on on the circuit. Well, yeah, you bring up the important point of doing it differently, and I think one thing that really stood out to me was in your company policy was saying. We see each other as human beings, not just workers. Our work environment is anchored by respect, compassion, and empathy. How do you come across this last bullet point in that policy? Man, you said the P word, the policy word. We, we went there right away. Um, push and pee. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, you know... Let's step. Let let me step back, right? Please. And um, you know, I was a blogger, a newsletter creator. Mostly, words were my medium for five, six years. Um, Hired a virtual assistant to help me kind of scale myself. Got into the course business, which is kind of like the main part of that's like our main business now. And it was all like, first of all, it was all none of it was a plan. Like there was no plan to any of this. Uh, It was very much, I have this, you know, I have my own unique set of principles as an entrepreneur, right? And one of them is follow the fun. So I do things uh, that are fun. Um, I, another one is what if it was easy? So look for things that come naturally, like look at ways at which you can um, maximize flow for yourself and for others. Um, And the brass tacks is, I, have architected a life that I want to live for myself that it trans you need money to live that life, but it transcends money. Right. Uh, And so for example, um, I don't have meetings until 1130 Pacific every day. So I can watch the surf conditions, the wind, my friends can give me surf reports. And then between seven and 1130, I can go and surf two and a half hours at the perfect time of the day. I'm not going to build a company if you're going to take that away from me. Full stop. You could give me a billion dollars. I ain't taking it. 
Because if you gave me a billion dollars, it would be just so I could go do that. And I don't have a billion dollars and I need to work and all of that. But you see the circularity in that. I'm not taking the billion dollars because I'm protecting that. And so as I started to think about growing the business, I started to think about like, well, well, what's that, right? So that is, you know, surfing for me is a metaphor or a vessel for my physical health, my spiritual health. It's, it's very meditative. My social health, because a lot of my friends uh, and my communities in the water. And so like what I was basically saying is like, I don't want to get into some kind of work agreement where you're going to take away from my physical health, my friendship, my, my uh, mental health, and my social health, right? Which it kind of sounds, that's not crazy talk, but it is kind of crazy talk in like the construct that we have in work, like offices and startups and all that stuff, right? So I said, okay, I'm, that's a non-negotiable for me. But here's the catch. If I'm going to start a business, I can't play by a different set of rules than my colleagues. Who would want to work there? Right? The boss gets to, you know, like surf for two and a half hours, but like everyone else has to be in the office. Fuck that. I wouldn't work there. You shouldn't work there. And so these principles around, you could say that they originated from a place of self selfishness. So you're like, what does Kay want? But I will say, like, I became an entrepreneur in part for selfish reasons to do what I wanted. And if I was going to leave the very isolated cocoon of solopreneurship and to add people into the, the family, I would have to do it in a way that honors everything that I believe to be true for them. And so it actually became super easy. It's like, what are the non-negotiables for me? And they're very principled, you know, um, human principles. And then, you know, soliciting feedback with my team, because theirs might be slightly different. Sometimes they, they hear me say this and they're like, well, you know, you have accumulated some savings from working on Wall Street. But like, we're, we want to make money. And like, don't, I was like, don't get it twisted. We're here to make money. But we're not here to make money at sacrificing at all costs. And so let's make sure that we're crystal clear as a team where that line is. And that line can be in the vacation policy. That line can be in the principles and how we treat each other. That line is in the way where we don't use email internally. That's a rule. You are not allowed to email your colleague, full stop, hmm. unless it's a forward like, or there's an external person on the thread. So it really originated from these first principles. And these first principles come from what I remember us talking from in the first ep episode is around like deep self-awareness of what's, what sets you off, what makes you fly, what brings you joy. Um, how do you want to spend your time? Sorry, that was a long-winded answer to one bullet point. Nah, it's good. It's very helpful to give that context. How long have you been running now with this new group, this new team? Yeah. So... Uh, in July of the pandemic, so that's July 2020, is when I hired uh, a virtual assistant. And that virtual assistant, uh, her name is Jane, became our community and course manager. I can't remember the exact date, but probably um, sometime, like a year ago. Uh, and then 
um, I ha- I, in 20, cause the dates are so blurry, uh, in 2021, um, I was hiring a lot of contractors. The mm-hmm. contractors helped me develop syllabus, contractors for marketing, contractors for the newsletter, uh, contractors around business strategy. And I have a bunch of coaches, business coaches. And I, I, I like I like paying for help uh, and training. Um, I pay I invest a lot of money to get one-on-one training. Um, and a bunch of those um, contractors kind of said, they're like, do you want it? We'd love to join you full time because to me it was nice to have contractors because there wasn't that commitment and all the stuff you have to build around but it contractors uh, are awesome that they are awesome too because they were delivering and we had a good relationship and you could almost view it as like a trial run for both parties Mm -hmm. right and so a a bunch of these contractors who by the way were all former students of our course so they're kind of like all the recruiting so far has all been within the community which is another crazy thought uh, and I don't see that changing for for uh, the interim future because um, the course has gotten so big. Um, so the contract, so there were contractors, and they wanted the commitment of like a monthly paycheck. They didn't want like the eat what you kill mentality, and they were willing to put away their other contracting work if I could provide their financial needs. Likewise, I loved them as contractors and I was starting to see the limits of contractors, right? Because the thing about contractors, they have a very narrow scope. And if the scope is redesigned the curriculum and the next day the website breaks and you're like, I just need someone to update the about me page. The contractor is not expected to do that. And if, you know, you're kind of violating the terms of agreement on both parties, if you do that, now you can modify the contract and so on. But I guess the bigger point is that the contractor's were not bought into the vision of what we were building, right? And they were because they wanted to work there. And I kind of was like, you know what? Um, I would love to have people that are bought into the vision mm-hmm. of the company. I would love to have people that will be athletes, right? And they'll go where the ball's at, right? Um, and I would love to make a long-term commitment to someone and have them make one back to us, right? Loyalty, both ways, two-sided loyalty. And so, oh, but I was I was really dragging my feet because, first of all, it's in the United States, it's expensive to put people on, like the taxes, the health insurance, the benefits, like it's, it's a lot. The, just the amount of filings with remote, you have to file with every state, where you have employees, if an employee changes states, you have to change the state filings. Like that's a, it's just a lot of like you know ten dollar work, hmm. right? Um, and then there is the fear, right? The fear is like if I'm going to hire someone, some people are they were quitting their jobs to do this full time. If I'm going to if they're going to do that, like, and this doesn't work in six months, I can't just let them go. I mean, I, legally I could, but I just. I'm not the kind of person that is okay with that. But at the same time, I could have just like dig in my pockets and just like keep spending more money if if for some reason the business wasn't working as planned. So there was so much trepidation around the, um, the, the, the commitment, the financial commitment, which is the business commitment I had made to people, the being terrified of like the death by a thousand cuts 
of all the little administrative things that needed to happen and a bit of self-doubt that's like, I've never been an entrepreneur. I mean, I've never been an entrepreneur that has like built and recruited and given performance review and all that stuff before. So a bit of self-doubt on that. But finally, I gathered the courage. And, and in fact, it was kind of, I had, it was inevitable because the course was growing too quickly. So I, I, I had to, or else we were going to, something was going to royally break if I didn't have a supporting team. And so my hand kind of got, I'm using huge air quotes here, got forced. Mm. It's funny, right? So that was 40 days ago. And and then you were like, okay, January I'm going to go, I'm going to yeah. start going on a bunch of podcasts. I need to talk about this. Yeah, I think, so I think that, so a few things happened. One is, so you know my 10K work framework. So as I hired people, immediately it freed up time to do 10K work. Hmm. Right, because I had been, I had been updating the website. Now I can ask someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. I had been, you know, modifying launch sequences or tweaking convert kit or all that. Now I didn't have to do that. I wasn't doing it anymore. So I had all this time, and so with this time, I'm like, well, what's the highest leverage activity that I can be doing? And I had this huge list. I was like YouTube and. Um, guest writing and um, getting on people's podcasts and, um, you know, updating our lead magnets and getting a new visual identity for the website. I had like giant, giant list. And I kind of went through each one and I was like, okay, what's the highest leverage activity that also fits into the parameters? What if this was easy? Like I find it enjoyable. Um, and it's with people who I find energizing. Hmm. So that's kind of that's kind of how 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 we landed here and the excitement of like I want to I want to tell I want to tell the story and the, the, look I mean there's a huge advantage of telling the stories because it helps us recruit it helps us get students it helps us get, get subscribers it helps you and I you know continue to bond as friends right and most importantly which is the crux of Radreads it it can inspire someone to do something differently hmm. you know you mentioned on Twitter that it's really the most important job you realize is recruiting. Mm-hmm. Why did you, how did you come across or realize that recruiting is going to be your number one priority moving forward? So I always knew this with venture backed startups because, you know, you raise a series A and you have like, you know, a couple hundred thousand in the bank and then you have like $3 million a week later. And you see like, I don't know, look at Maven or I think they raised more than a, you, they went from like four people in a room to like a jobs posting page of like 25 jobs, like literally overnight. And so I always knew that that was the case if you had external funding, because that's the whole point is you try to accelerate this, um, like you try to accelerate it into as small as a window as possible because the VCs want their money back they want the exit but i said to myself this is different because like there's no investors and we have raised our hands and said we're not trying to grow just for the sake of growing every time we use the word growth internally it's preceded by the word sustainable so sustainable growth so if i'm going to burn myself out to grow that's not sustainable growth 
If we're going to work our, our butts off on the weekend, that's not sustainable growth. That's growth, but it's not sustainable because we believe and our core values are that we will, it's what the point you just read, we will like turn into worker, soulless, unhealthy peons. And that's just, that's not what we signed up for. Hmm. So I didn't think, so I thought that with a bootstrapped business that would just grow much slower, I thought I'd hire maybe one, if I'm lucky, two more people this year. So I'd have plenty, and it would be like towards the end of the year. But we hit the ground running. We have two businesses now. We have our course business, and our course had a record launch. Why? Because I have superstars on my team. So we actually made more money than we thought we would. Next, we started a second business that I was super conservative. I'm a very conservative. It might not sound like I'm a conservative guy. I'm a very conservative guy. No, it sounds um, like that, at least to me. Yeah. You're like, so, we're going to grow, but we're going to grow slowly. That doesn't sound like a... Yeah. <laughs> that sounds very conservative to me. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely true. Um, so then in the second, we started the second business and we had uh, like very low revenue targets for it. And in two months, we like, we hit like the, we're tracking to like the mid-year point already in two months. Let me ask you something, Kay, because why do you think that you set expectations lower than what reality Mm. often shows you? Mm, Wow. So you know that Tim Urban um, post, happiness equals reality minus expectations? (laughs) Yeah. It's great. So I think there's a part of me that self that self hedges. I think that there we talked about this in the uh, first podcast. Like I grew up very shy, very skinny, like couldn't date, you know, like kind of like the nice guy, want to be his friend but couldn't see myself with him, like that kind of guy. Um and so I wasn't very confident. Plus, you know, I came from um you know, I'm second child of first generation immigrants. So my parents um, were very hardworking, but they didn't have the self-confidence in just their stature in the U.S. You know, Cambodians in the U.S., you know, first generation with no family members here. So I and I grew up in New York, you know, it was like lower middle class, but I, I never really felt because I was so like, scared and you know physically weak looking or weak maybe i was weak i was just i was just always nervous right it's just like a nervous kid i was like nervous of getting jumped like on my walk home from school i was nervous whenever it came like student dance time like like oh i'm gonna be the one loser that like doesn't have a date you know and so i was just like always had this nervousness you know, you could view it as like a lack of belonging. You could view it as like insecurity. You could view it as a form of trauma. I, I don't know what the right label is for it, but I never felt complete mm. as a child. Um, and then we can get into a much longer conversation into that's like the fire behind a lot of, like the early fire behind my ambition was to feel complete. Yeah. Um, when do and you I think, feel most complete? Yeah. Oh, when I'm meditating. When you're meditating. Yeah. Interesting. For, for sure. I think when I, and, and you know, we, sh- we tweeted, we shared some um, tweets about Ram Dass. Yes. Um, you know, I'm starting, and this might be a little too off, far off the reservation for some people listening, but, 
You know, I'm starting to see the limitations of the rational mind, right? Where everything needs to Tell fit into a form. Like, I'm happy. I am sad. It's like, well, what if there's actually, what if that's just language? Hmm. Right? And what if you could, what if you were unable to communicate the language of happy and sad in, uh, with words? Would you still be happy? Right? There's no concept of happiness because you can't describe it with a form. Right? Here's another way to think about it that's, that I always find quite weird. This is a Ramdas question that comes from Sri Ramana Maharshi, another guru in India. And the question is, who am I? Right? It's a meditative question. Who am I? So uh, you could be like, who am I? Well, I'm K. I'm K He, right? Creator of Rad Reads. Okay. Well, what if I change my name and I'm, I reverse the letters to E-H-K? And I'm like, I'm Ek. You're like, am I, has anything changed? Like, no, I'm Ek. Well, you're K, you're Ek. No, it's like, it's kind of like a, it's like a trivial example, right? Let's take another one. I'm losing my hair. You can't see it now. And I'm not going to grace your viewers with my looks bald great. spot. But yeah, it looks great because I know how to look in the right angle. And we could talk about the trauma that when you know that there's a wrong angle, you can call, you can talk about the trauma that comes with that hmm. or the suffering that comes with that. Suffering would be the right word. But let's say it's going to happen. One day I'm going to have to go rock style, Bruce Willis style. And it's probably some people would argue now is the time. Um, that is going to be uh, a death of an identity. The identity of K with hair. Will I still be K? I'm sure a lot of people, 99.9% of the people will be like, oh yeah, that's K. But I'll be honest, like I remember Tiger when he had hair. <laughs> right? Like I remember Nadal when he had like that gorgeous, those gorgeous locks. Right? And I'm not saying I love them less or admire them less. But I, the small part of them views me differently. Now, whether that matters, no, it doesn't mean that the damn thing. But again, is K without hair the same as K with hair? We could get a, go a little bit further. Let's say I have a stroke hmm. and I can't talk anymore. Am I still K? I can't go on your podcast. Am I still K? We could go a step further. Let's say, let's say I'm on a ventilator. And my family can still come and hold my hand. And they can f see my heart moving. But they know that I can't see them or spot them. Am I still K? The thing about this is that, that this all is predicated on the fact that K as a form actually exists. Hmm. Right? Like, I will still exist when my body is gone. My kids will still have memories about me. People will still read my work. They'll still listen to the replays of our interview, right? We're immortal, baby. So, yeah, exactly, right? Legends. Uh, but, but if you're attached to the form being K looking a certain way, K being a certain way, K being able to express his thoughts a certain way, what if, and this is, I don't, I, I'm making a, I'm not, I don't know if you find my argument convincing or not. I don't, I'm not sure if I believe myself, what I'm saying. But 
I'm open to the possibility. Mm -hmm. And so to go back to the question is, where do you feel the most complete? It is in meditation. Because in meditation, you kind of strip away all of that. You strip mm -hmm. away Kay without hair. You strip away Kay's thoughts. You strip away Kay's kids holding his hand. It's all gone. Or you could say it's all there. I don't know. And I can't, I'm trying my hardest to explain this to you with words. But there's in that moment, I know you're a meditator, there's something about it that can't be described with words. You're right. What is that? What, what is, why is the fact that when we have no inputs, we have nothing, no sensory experience, I guess you could smell or hear, but you're not really smelling or hearing much. Why is it when there's no sensory inputs, we feel the most whole? Man, that is, I mean, I think there's some, well, I think a lot of people would disagree with that statement. I wouldn't, but I think a lot of people would. Um, they probably have not spent that time alone, right? It's Pascal who said, all of man's troubles come from their inability to spend 15 minutes by themselves. We're two for two in bringing that quote up, which is a great yeah. quote in our episodes. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. See, or I've got a good PKM. Um, so the, why, I mean, I think that that, that could be a clue that there are limits to the rational mind. There are limits to logic. There are limits to science. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's more, there's more. Maybe it's a little bit more. Maybe this whole thing, you know, maybe you can go Elon Musk that this whole thing's a simulation. I don't know. Maybe there's more. And I think that for probably like 35 years of my life, I refused to believe that there was more. I'm like, show me the proof. Show me the formula. Show me the DNA, the whatever. Show me the logic. And I think with age and more, Meditation and more Ramdas to be frank. I listen to I listen to those talks like an hour a day, like every single day. It, wow. And I listen to the same one like seven times, like over and over and over again. It's like a form in addition to meditation. Um so I now with age, with spiritual guidance, um, with you know, the way the world ebbs and flow, like I'm open to the possibility that there's something that cannot be explained by words, logic, and formula. Mm. I just don't know what it is. Makes sense. To me, at least. Uh, <laughs> you talk about Ramdas, and this will link down below the two talks that he does, which I think you're referring mm. to, which I listened to in the past week, maybe in the last 48 hours even. And, you know, it, it he touches on something that we touched on in this conversation which is like you're starting to get bald and he talks about growing old is suffering in a society that worships youth 
Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. Oh, man. So, but he also says that the closer you are to suffering, the closer you are to being awakened. Mm-hmm. And that both of those concepts really made me think, really made me step back. What what do you think about all that? I mean, the aging thing is scary, right? This Why? culture. Well, if you're locked into the belief of rationality, the day you're gone, boom, lights out, game over, right? Yeah. For, and if you believe in rationality, I would imagine many of your listeners believe in high agency. Like, why do you think that there's so many Silicon Valley people that are trying to live forever? Like, they believe that they can control, like, the, the universe, right? Whoa. Um, like, why, why do it's, – it's, it's almost exclusively Silicon Valley people that want to live forever, and I, I used to be, I'm not a Silicon Valley person, but I used to be one of those people that wanted to live forever. Now I have like no desire to live forever. I mean, we, we should circle back on that point. But why, why is aging scary, right? Well, yeah. you're on this earth and you have an ego, right? The ego is I'm a good entrepreneur. I'm a good surfer. I'm a good dad. People like me, I'm handsome, I'm fit, I have no hair. You know, like, you have this ego, right? And death is the ultimate destroyer of ego. Right? So why do you think people scramble to have buildings named after them? Right? Why do you think they donate entire wings to universities? Death, like, the... The fact that you, your ego, and again, your ego is wrapped into your physical body. They're the same in, in the rationalist's mind. Boom, incinerated. That's terrifying. If you believe that there's nothing else, it's terrifying. My friend uh, Brent uh, Bishore, he once wrote it. He's, he's a very, he's a man of God. He wrote it. It takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. A lot of faith to be an atheist. Yeah. Wow. That's a Think good one. Think of it, right? Like, yeah. That's a good one. It's powerful. And, and so why are we so, why are we so, I mean, let me turn around. Are you scared of, your, are you scared of dying? No. No? No. Bless you. are lucky, man. <laughs> a lot of driven people are, te- are terrified of it. In fact, the reason they're so driven is because they're terrified of it. What's going to happen? So they, right? Yeah. Like what? Like you're scared of some, I think the most rational approach is just to take what's in front of you in this moment. Mm -hmm. And a fear of death is so often when you're not dealing with cancer or, or like something life threatening in that moment, a fear... A fear of death is so often not in this moment. So yeah. uh, an amount of naivete about oh, that's just not a problem for right now. Mm-hmm. Right now I got a, a podcast I got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's not to say that when I'm alone with my thoughts that I'm like, oh, what's going to happen when you die? I'm not like trying to push that thought away. 
but yeah. it's uh it's that de- but that's changed i definitely was scared of death at some yeah. point and i i have to say that it's it's closely related to the time when i started meditating yeah I, if i if i were to think about it i i, I would definitely um put i share a similar experience i was very very afraid and i think there's a few things right i think at the surface level you know i was afraid of losing you know of not being around it made the it made me sad to not be around my kids and my friends and my loved ones and so on but if you think about it rationally like you can't actually you wouldn't even be there to know that you're missing it so <laughs> so i think that, that that's like one angle another was this kind of perspective of like not having fulfilled my potential. Right. And so it was less that I was scared of the act of dying itself, but more that there was this finite window to achieve my best self or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase that. And as that window was closing and I wasn't, you know, being that best version of myself, it kind of scared me or maybe it was more just like suffocating Right. And then there's the ego part, which is like, you know, I, I had this uncle and I just uh, I adored him. He's like my favorite uncle. And he passed from cancer like four or five years ago. And I remember I was so sad and crying and, and thinking about him all the time. But one of the things I was the most sad about was that I knew that in a year I wouldn't be as sad about it because I would have forgotten about him. And I knew that in three years, I might go an entire year without thinking about him, right? Or maybe thinking about him, you know, on the anniversary of his death. And that scared me, not for him, but for me. I was like, no, I, I just want you to remember me. But that, like, what an abs- Like, I could feel like I'm getting animated thing because that's a scary thought. Like, I just want you to remember me. But I could also laugh at it because it's kind of hilarious, right? Because like, you know, we're just like a pile of dust. And like this pile of dust is like, please, at Christmas, talk about me, right? Like talk about this pile of dust, like to your grandkids. You're like, please don't forget me, right? And I don't know. I couldn't have laughed about this like uh, two years ago. Definitely not like four years ago. Uh, but I think that does, it comes down to like, it's like, it's this egoic death. So the same thing about like my fear of going, you know, rock style on my hair is actually just taking one step closer towards killing off an identity, killing off an ego that like made me feel who I was, who I am, who, you know, represents me to the outside world. Um, and so I think death is like, it's actually, I think death and baldness are actually the feelings that you confront are actually very similar. I did not think we were going to go in this direction, but like I said, I'm here, I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's what I love about you, man, is that you, you go there, man. And, and, um, I love it. You know, like I told you before, I'll go anywhere, man. I'm all terrain. I think when you're comfortable with yourself, you're comfortable to ask and also answer questions 
that we push aside. And this is what I noticed about myself when I stopped meditating. So I wasn't as comfortable with myself. So I couldn't ask deeper questions. I, I didn't want to go there because I was mm-hmm. just going to push it away. And that manifests itself in the podcast, I'm sure, mm-hmm. if I listen. And it also manifested itself in real life when you actually mm-hmm. have real conversations with people you love. Mm-hmm. So I think that the more that I get to know myself, the more comfortable I am with myself, the more mm-hmm. I can have real conversations with guests and about things that are troubling to them or are things that they're thinking about. And that's why I, the quote that you said at Ramdas is like, you, you need, you, he said it differently. Or the one I remember is differently, like suffering is grace. Hmm. Right. Um, but that suffering brings you closer. And I think he says something like, you cannot love others if you don't love yourself and you can't understand un- other people's suffering if you don't suffer, understand your own suffering. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. And just to, to add a point of levity to this deep conversation, because I'm also here for the levity, I once saw uh, one of the comedians, I forget, who, like Amy Schumer or someone like her, it's just, it's like people who hold in, who like don't go deep within themselves, thinking they don't want to know and they want to like bury, bury it back in. It's like trying to hold in a fart. Yeah. Because like, you just like, you're like, it's, you're walking around uncomfortably and you just know at any given point in time the the motherfucker is going to go and you snap at people and you're yeah. like what and you're like what's going on and y- you have such a a surface level of what is possible and what is actually happening uh, yeah. because you can't recognize the reality of the situation you know mm-hmm. ramdas also said something in that talk about the aim of life in the east is to prepare for the moment of death and he mm-hmm. talked about reincarnation. And I I didn't understand that part. I didn't I would I was saying, Ram Das, what do you mean there? I gotta yeah. I gotta ask and he goes, No questions. <laughs> like <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. At one point he's totally. like, No questions. Um and I was like, What what do you mean by reincarnation? What do you mean by preparing for the moment of death? I, I assumed it had something to do with you know, you meditate, you get close to the place of stillness. Once you do, you, you're you more comfortable with the unknown. Uh, but what did all that mean to you? And what what's your take on the reincarnation and what he says about yeah. death in general? So, I don't... I don't have a strong, I, I listen to a lot of Dharma talks and talks like that, but I'm not, I don't really like study Buddhism and Eastern philosophy and all that. So please take everything I say as just one, you know, buffoon's opinion. Uh, but I mean, here's, here's a, a, a strange thought is the minute we come out of the womb, we've begun dying. Mm-hmm. Right? So when he says we spend our entire lives preparing for death it's because we literally are dying from the moment we're born right and that's not a bad thing that like anything that has an end date is uh, is dying the minute it starts you know at different rates and different you know paths so i think that that's that's one thing but i i the what what i hear i don't i don't have a view about the reincarnation but i have an openness to that there's something else 
right? And I'm not, I don't believe in any um, uh, traditional, I don't, I'm not, I don't believe in, I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. I, I believe there's something else and I, I have no idea what it is and I can't explain to you in words, but I believe that, the, that there's something else. I think in that point, what I hear is that um, we are, we're, we're learning to deal with the death of our ego, hmm. right? Which is like our sense of self. And it's actually interesting, right? Because, um, you know, you can have a kid and, you know, the kids don't have an ego in the early days, right? Like they don't care what other people think. Mm-hmm. They're not like, they don't want to be investment bankers. Uh they, you know, there's a certain point where, you know, they'll say stupid stuff without like feeling judged or laughed at, right? You could even tell like, oh, you have such fat chubby cheeks or like all that. And then like they, they, they don't care, right? So there's a point where the ego hasn't formed. And the ego is not necessarily a bad thing because it's, it's like who you are. But in the, the, the is it the second um, the second noble truth of Buddhism is when we cling to something. Suffering comes from clinging. Yeah. So when we cling to the ego or we cling to the fact that we have hair, we had a full head of hair, or when we cling to the fact that we were a managing director and now we're just you know some small-time entrepreneur, the, the, the suffering comes from that clinging, right? And what I hear in that phrase that you just described is letting go of the ego that keeps you so attached. Like, why, Kay, do you care so much about this hair thing? Hmm. Right? Why? Why do you care so much? Like, seriously, why do you care? And it's the ego, right? I, I want to look in the, walk into a room and I want someone to say like, oh, I think that guy's a handsome guy. Or I want to go onto a YouTube channel. I want to be like, uh, you know, that, that, that guy looks dope. Or, you know, I want someone to be like, oh, you look younger than your age, right? I want that, right? That's the, that's the desire, right? I'm clinging to the youth, right, in that example. Yeah, The Work by Byron Katie. Um, oh, man. Yeah. It's on my list of, I've never read it. I, I'm familiar with some of the arguments, but I've never read it. It's on my list. Yeah, I, I read it in January and it really, I love the idea of it, which is kind of, there's a lot to it and there's questions you ask and all this, but what I really took from it was the turnarounds, which basically means like, take the statement you have and turn it around. Meaning that like, if you want somebody to say, I, you have great hair or you look so young, imagine and feel what it would be like if I said, you look so old mm-hmm. and really sit with that. And I think mm-hmm. the purpose is if you can get comfortable with you look so old, well, then you don't fear looking, mm-hmm. not looking old. And that's just a powerful frame to operate in. Yeah. And and can make you feel whole in that moment because it's like completing the puzzle. Totally. In the puzzle, you have in one section you have okay, I can only look young. But if you mm-hmm. then fill it in and you say no, I I, I want to look old. I actually can't wait to look old. Well, now mm-hmm. you have the complete puzzle. And Oof. yeah, what what do you think about that? that? Um the first thing that comes to mind it's like it's it's exposure therapy, 
right? Mm. Someone was like, you should just take a mirror and just stare at your bald spot all day and then you'll just get used to it. I'm like, that sounds like, I honestly think I'd rather like kill myself or like not kill myself, but I like, that sounds like hell, hell on earth. So sorry to, sorry to be so dramatic, but that sounds like hell. Um, the, so that's the first thing that comes to mind. So I, obviously it shows how there's still so much suffering there, right? There's so much like fart being held in right there. Um, just like waiting to go. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, so that'd be the, the first thing. Um, the second thing is, yeah, I think there's something about lang- like disarming language. Right. So the, yeah. what came to mind is like the inner critic, right? When I, I was much harsher on myself in my 20s and less in my 30s. And right now, for the most part, I'm quite kind to myself in my inner monologue. But part of my 30s and the dampening of the inner critic was to just change the language. So instead of saying, you suck, I can't believe only, you know, 200 people read that blog post. I would say, like, isn't it funny that only 200 people read that blog post? Or sometimes I even gave it a name. I called it Mr. Salty Poop. It's like, Mr. Salty Poop thinks it's so ridiculous that only 200 people read that blog. And then I would just laugh at myself. But the language, like, and again, it kind of shows the power and limits of language because the language kind of like, you can defang the language by just replacing you with Mr. Salty Poop thinks. Mm -hmm. So that's the second thing that comes to mind. And then the third is like, what if like this kind of non-dual wor- way of thinking, what if there's something beyond, you know, hair, no hair, young, old, happy, sad, right? And so I think about this, um, you know, we, we have in, in our course and our method, we have this concept of 10K questions. These are the big questions that you ask yourself and you kind of meditate on them. One of mine is, who am I? Um, another one is I apply it more in a business sense is, am I playing the right game? Right. Cause I could get caught up in the game of entrepreneurship and I've told you I'm not optimizing for max profits, but sometimes I forget. And then I like go hard cause you know, I'm in that mode cause I'm, I, then I need to remind myself that I'm playing the wrong game. Yeah. Right. So so there's the right game and the wrong game. And then my coach asked me this question. It blew my mind. He goes, what's beyond games? I was like, holy fuck, you motherfucker. What's beyond games? That's a kind of like a who am I question because it kind of takes the whole system of like good game, bad game and throws it out the window and says like, you're actually asking the wrong question. Mm-hmm. And so it's, this is not a critique of what, of, of Byron Katie or anything like that. It's just, that's what I hear. And I think, you know, when we started earlier with the limits of the rational mind and the limits of using words to describe happy, sad, like, I'll give, I give you um, another example where um, I have, my wife and I will volunteer um, occasionally at a hospice center. So it's where people are in their, like, last like seven, they have seven to 10 days to live and they're off all the, you know, life-sustaining, med- med- usually some, some sort of cancer. They just kind of die in peace in this home. And we go there and it's really like a very 
beautiful, serene, mundane, dare I say, experience. Because like sometimes the the patients um, are barely conscious. So you're just sitting in the room, like maybe holding their hand. They can't talk. You're not even sure if they recognize that, you know, you're holding their hand, that, they, that you're in the room. And sometimes they're like chatting your ear off like, you know, they're one of your friends. Um, and other times you just like sweep the floors because there's no one there or everyone's sleeping. So you go there and people always ask me, what's it like? And it's actually very hard to describe it. The first thing is like, it must be so scary to be this close scary. to death. Yeah. And to be this like seven days from death. Right. Like, you know, you're going to come back the next time the person will be gone. There's like no doubt in your mind. Um, so it's not, but it's not scary. It's beautiful, but not in the tr- typical sense of the word beautiful. Hmm. It's not particular. It's definitely not fun. But there's a lightness and a peacefulness to it all. You feel like you're in service, but it's still agitating. Whatever you feel about death, it's definitely, you're reminded of it when you're there. Hmm. So there's a discomfort. There's, and again, that kind of goes with one's own fear of death, whether that's a mild discomfort or a raging discomfort. But there's just this very complex set of emotions that comes from that two-hour visit. And I cannot use words to describe them. I think that's why a lot of people seeking truth are so keen on learning different languages because you start to realize that just one language can't possibly wrap up all of human experience and that Mm -hmm. more people, more situations can point the finger to what is actually true or give you a more complete picture into truth. Have you mm-hmm. learned any new languages or or considered it? Mm. Silence I've learned. The language of silence. Um, I, have, I have not. I, I, I'm fluent in French, and so I can see certain instances of lang. You know, they're close enough, um, but a Germanic languages, I think. I'm not a linguist. Um, so, but I, I definitely, I think it's Steph Smith who has an entire website about words that exist in one language that don't exist in another language. Yeah, super um, cool. And so I, I personally haven't, and I'm mostly it's because I got two kids, two young kids, um, but but I but I do I do think a lot about the 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 power of words. And as a writer, I'm, I'm actually a little bit more careful about how I might wield, like, you know, I don't wield myself into any controversies or things like that. But I think as an example, like copywriting, right? Copywriting is, copywriting can be very manipulative and it kind of wields the power of words to kind of get you, you, the writer, the outcome that you desire. So that's a that's a tangent, but I've definitely like thought about the power of words in many cases. Yeah. No, and on that tangent, how great is it when 
the copywriters aiming to do something that uplifts other people and mm-hmm. and this copywriting's one example writing's one example but so is podcasting so is mm-hmm. is videos like it's all aiming to so often aiming to get somebody to do something and that's not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing and absolutely yeah and i think that's you I mean that's why so many people love your podcast that's why many people love rad reads right mm-hmm. um you know i would i listen to so like in my 30s i listened to so much tim ferris and mm-hmm. he was really influential like he in- introduced me to a lot of these thinkers and these different ideas and so on and now i don't listen to tim ferris i, I just i've outgrown it and found moved on and but i have so much admiration for what he brought into my life at that phase uh in in my life so there's kind of the way that you talk to people and let them see alternative alternative visions for themselves in a way that is genuine in a way that is helpful uh in a way that is relatable right i think like the the thing about some of the best podcasts is how relatable they are and you're like you feel like they're your friend right? Because they just understand you. So on what is, what, like, we started this conversation with copywriting. What is copywriting? Copywriting is a true sense of empathy of your target's pains and dreams, mm-hmm. right? And by the way, that's not so different than being a good writer. Uh, the difference is that with copywriting, you're trying to, like, lead them to take action versus fiction. You're just, you're doing it for the, the uh, emotion that it, uh, that it, it engenders, Hmm. Yeah, or or to get somebody to take an action, right? Like or, yeah, fiction, or to, yeah, you know, totally. You know, uh, yeah. Um, what? Why do you think you've stopped listening to Tim Ferriss? Hmm. So I have people. People ask me often. Um, you know, what do you, re- what's the best book that you read or what do you, what do you, what's the best books you read to, that helped you quit your job or what's the best book? And honestly, Danny, I have just, my consumption of just information has plummeted. Uh, and I can't, I can't exactly pinpoint Why? Uh, and so I would say like Tim Ferriss, that falls into that overall bucket, but I don't read a ton of nonfiction, barely read any nonfiction. Um, I, I re- when I do read, it's usually fiction and more and more sp- spiritual texts, hmm. which I kind of read over and they just take, it's not even like you don't start and end them. You just kind of always just get in there and, they're just kind of always with you, right? Like the Tao Te Ching, like I've read every page in it, but I don't like sit down to read it. I'll see it. I'm like, oh, just, you know, read it for 10 minutes and sit on a koan. So I think part of it is that um, just the overall volume has gone down. And I could I could share why I think that's gone down. Um, a few things is that uh, I definitely spend more time in silence. And so I spend more time um, meditating, 
I do a bunch of breathing exercise, like breathing practices that I surf. I take walks mostly without headphones now. Um, so in general, like I, I think that this is a good question. Um, I think that something happened in my life where I just wanted less noise. And so I just turned down the volume and the obvious culprits were, I never watched a lot of YouTube. So the, uh, and I never watched a lot of TV, but the obvious culprits were, um, reading nonfiction and podcasts. Um, I've swapped some of it, right? So I'd listen, I just told you, I listened like an hour of Ram Dass every day. So I'm clearly still listening to podcasts, uh, just different ones. Uh, I, I think too that um, it's going to be, like I said, it's always the, the truth here. Um, I do think that a lot, I, list, I think I burnt myself out on a lot of like uh, pers- you know, personal growth materials, which is ironic because I write I create so many of those. I've built yeah. a business around that. And, you know, I know that there are listen- listeners who are my readers, who are my students, and they know that I'm always very honest about it, is that, you know, they're, first of all, I don't need a lot of new inputs to be able to write about those ideas. And if anything, some of these newer inputs that I'm taking in are actually watching the ideas mature. Right. I would have never talked about the limits of the rational mind a year ago. I just I wouldn't have been in a position. I didn't, I didn't even know that was something I cared about. So I think I think like anything, right, there's seasons. Yeah. Right. And I think my seasons, you know, I'm 42 and a half. I think my seasons of like go hard or go home, like go big. Like I think that that season of my life has has closed. And I think it's much more qualified now, right? It's like, like the 20s is like growth at all costs, right? Uh, 30s would be, you know, growth. And then 40s is like sustainable growth. And 50s will be like, who cares about growth, right? And so I think I'm just kind of processing all of these seasons of life, sitting with a lot of these questions, sitting. I, I get so much joy of sitting, like even a good book now, you know, there's still a trade-off between meditation and a good book. I might pick meditation. I, I, I mean, usually it's the most compelling option to me. Your mind is always the best teacher, is something Corey Allen says loosely, mm. um, which is a great quote. Back to the question of, what's beyond the games what did what was the thing you said or or meditated on or figured out is there anything what was the answer to that mm. i bet there's some like um buddhist koan that's like you know if you search for the answer you'll never find the answer you know there's, there there definitely is something like that um I, the answer is i don't know um i think that there are a few things that kind of bubble up. Um, one that I've kind of worked with with my one of my teachers is genuine care. So like beyond like all the games, like what's the what's the thread that unifies all of my activities is that I genuinely care. And so I genuinely care 
to give your listeners like the best conversation possible with nothing. I mean, obviously I want to grow my list, but like, like even if you were like, there's zero, you know, no CTAs allowed, I would still be here. Right. So genuine care, genuine care for my students, genuine care for my crafts, right? Like when I take surfing, like I want to be a craftsman at it, not because I want to win any competition. Sorry, that boat has sailed. Um, But I want to genuinely care about how I'm showing up with it. So that's one thing that um, comes up. I think it's uh, related to it. Um, and I really want to bring that ethos into the company that we're building for my colleagues and for our customers and our students. Another one that comes up is service. And in service, you can hear flavors of love, right? Um, and, and I do, it's a pathway that, you know, worth exploring. Like I do feel like I have a lot of love to give, but I'm not always sure that the love that I'm giving is like always truly unalterated and all unfiltered, right? Like it's not just like this boundless, like when you listen to like a Ram Dass, it's just like this boundless, like I don't have that. Uh, and I don't know, like, I don't know if I'm striving to get to that point. I, I consciously I'm not. Like, I don't want to be a spiritual, I don't want to be a guru or anything, a spiritual teacher or anything like that. But I do, you know, there's something that connects there with that, just like that love for other people. Like I, something, like it's, it's, it's gotten very hard for me to kill a bug. Mm. Because of this love for other sentient beings, right? And and again, some people might be listening to this and be like, "Why did you kill bugs in the first place?" And other people might be like, "Like, who cares? It's a bug. They don't have a consciousness." And right there, that uh, that opens it's like two bug. You know, how do you know that a mosquito doesn't have a consciousness? Right? Who are you? Who are we to say that mosquitoes don't have consciousness? Just because, like, the science book says that, right? So, I bring that up not because I, I bring that because love is. Uh, I think of these things as like little little filaments, and just like they're like little thin filaments of light, and you just kind of like see them, and you're like, that's something. There's something there. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I struggle to put words, to put it in words, but I know that there's something there. And, and maybe what the what's beyond games question is just to keep exploring what's be, you know, keep exploring these filaments and not writing about them and not talking about them and not, you know, turning them into businesses and just being, you know, being with them. Again, that's a a theory i want people might be listening to this like man this dude's gone off this for the record i've done no like psychedelics or anything i want to but i haven't um but i think like sitting in silence for many many years with teaching i have some amazing teachers will shift your thinking talk to you and here's another thing though yeah is it'll shift your thinking 
but I still want to be a badass motherfucking entrepreneur, right? Like, don't get that, like, don't let that get lost in it all. Like, I think people assume, again, the duality is like, well, you could be super spiritual and quiet and not read a lot and not read fiction and, you know, not listen to Tim Ferriss and like, but then you can't be an entrepreneur. Like, what, you know, what do you mean? Like, you could do it in your own terms. And so, like, I, th- I, I, I love this, like, weird balance that I'm able to to find that, again, I think a lot of it is just comes with age and, and, like, knowing myself better to be comfortable with the fact that, like, you know, the certain decisions that I've made being atypical ones or just, like, bucking the conventional path of, like, no, you have to read nonfiction if you want to be a good entrepreneur. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think anyone has said that I mean, perhaps people have said that you have to read nonfiction, otherwise you're not a good entrepreneur. Yeah. But it's a, a narrative that is created in our own mind. Because mm-hmm. I, I personally never, never once did I did I ever say, okay, if I need to be an entrepreneur, I need to read nonfiction. I just like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I enjoy this book. This book is interesting. And I'm curious, like, do you think you created this in your mind that you needed to do certain things to be an entrepreneur? Um, well, I'll start by saying that I have empirical proof of this in, um, I mean, if you just did like a Google search, like best top books for entrepreneurs, Reddit, or just to like get through all the SEO crap. Um, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a book of fiction on any of those lists. So I think there is a prevailing cultural narrative that like, you know, like you need to read shoe dog and the hard thing about hard things and whatever. Um, so I think there's some of it there. The other empirical data point that I show that I have is in our course, we have one of our best lectures is why is it so hard to take a walk without headphones? That's the name of the lecture. Uh, I'll share the post with you for the show notes after. Um, and we do a poll on fiction and it's, Usually, 25% of the people, 75% of the people have read less than two fiction books in the past year. And then we ask them why. And this is why the lecture is called, Why Is It So Hard to Take a Walk Without Headphones? Is that they equate fiction to uh, not having an outcome, right? So you read nonfiction, you read Shoe Dog, and you're like, oh, this is how Phil Knight approached marketing. And you read, you know, the hard, you, the hard thing about hard things, this is how Ben Horowitz approaches one-on-ones. And, you know, you re- read Alchemist and Alchemy, and you're like, this is how he approaches brands. But you read, um, you know, Candide by Voltaire, and what does that make you better at, Right. And, and I would actually make an argument that there's a lot that it makes you better at, but that's missing the point. The point is you read it because it's beautiful fiction that like doesn't have to bring you joy. And so the empirical data of which I used to, and still sometimes am very beholden to that mindset, is that things you need to do things that have outcomes, right? And it's not enough to do something just for the joy. Right, you can't go hiking unless you're listening to a podcast between Danny Miranda and Kehi that's teaching you how to be built, cultivate better self awareness. 
right? If you're going hiking, even it comes from my dad, dude. My dad, uh, whenever I say I went hiking, my dad's like, I don't go hiking. I only walk to places that I need to get to. Right? So there's this, there's this belief, and not everyone has it, but I would imagine a lot of people in our shared communities have it, is that to do something, it has to have some kind of outcome to it. And if you're doing something just for the joy of it, you should feel guilty about it. Like it's indulgent. Right? And so that's the empirical evidence that I have. Where did it come from, from for me? <laughs> I just told you, right? My dad shits on hiking, right? Because he thinks it's pointless, right? So you could imagine what he thinks about my two to three hours, you know, one to two hours of meditation every day. <laughs> yeah. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot is how do we take the opinions of those close to us who we respect and love so much with a grain of salt when we have almost been brought up to believe that they are godlike figures who are all knowing. Mm. Oh. Man, I got I have so many thoughts. I was just talking about this today. Um again from the Ramdas podcast. Uh he quotes a line from Kabir, the poet, and the line goes you could do what you want to another human being, but always keep them in your heart. And I mean, you do, I need to like meditate on that one for a while, but it, it came up in like, try, like struggling to say no, right? A lot of people listening to this podcast struggled to say no. I did a poll in our course today, 75% struggled to say no. And so you can do what you want to another human being. You can say no to them. Someone, you know, I use the example, I get a lot of like, hey, can I pick your brain about entrepreneurship? And unfortunately, I have to say no to a lot of those. And also you can say no, but hold that person in your heart, right? Just because I'm not able to share 30 minutes of my time to talk about entrepreneurship I hold you in my heart. I respect you. I love you as a fellow human being. So that, um, that would be one way is like you can disagree with someone. You can criticize someone even. You can say no to someone, but you must always hold them in your heart. And he actually tells this funny story. I actually do this. I don't know uh, if you do any um, compassion meditation, meta meditation. Have you ever? Not that I'm oh, aware you got, of. You got to try this. Um, so if you just Google Meta, M-E-T-T-A, it's also sometimes called loving kindness, loving dash kindness meditation. And it basically holds other people in your heart and just projects, it sends them love. Yeah. And so I would close my eyes and I would say, Danny, may you be loved. May you be safe. May you be happy and may you live with ease and in peace. And then I'll do that. Lisa, my wife, Soraya, my daughter, Lou, my friend, right? Just do that. The first time, dude, I did that once. I was jet lagged. I did it for 90 minutes. Wow. Because I couldn't sleep. And I straight out started to hallucinate. It was, it was like so fucking weird. 
it never happened again, unfortunately. Um, but so that, so, but that is this like, and you can, you can feel it. Like you can feel, and again, if you're going to be limited by the rational brain, they'll be like, well, well, Danny doesn't, Danny won't, didn't feel it. You just wasted your time. Right. But that's kind of missing the point, right? Is that there's just something beautiful in this meta meditation and it kind of captures this Kabir spirit. And so he tells a story in this same episode where um, he has this like shrine. Uh, Ramadas has this shrine and there's like his guru and there's Jesus Christ. And then he actually, it's funny, it's that, 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 this way we don't have to get, bring politics into it, but you can guess Ramdas' politics. He had someone, which the crowd laughed, I had never heard of him, the person, and Bob Dole. And so he, he goes and he, he's like telling the story. It's so funny. He's like, he's like, he has a slightly different mantra, but he's like, like Buddha, it's, you know, it's so great to serve you. I love you. Uh, may you have a, you know, a beautiful day. And he does that for Christ. And then he gets to Bob Dole and he's like, hello, Bob. I hope you have a good day. <laughs> but it's kind of that same, it's the same feeling, right? Like, and it's, it's like, can you hold someone in your heart and care about them? And, and, and that's like infinite, right? We, we have it in our heart. You know, the, the Buddhists will make the argument that the heart is, is c- 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 capable of infinite love right and you and i can debate whether that's true or not but that's kind of missing the point is like just i'm open to that possibility i don't want i don't know if it's true or if it's false but i'm open why not what does it hurt me to believe that that might be possible and so to go back to your question which is um which was around like people having disagreeing views or disagreeing views and how do you still love them or outdated views um i would there's a few a few random thoughts that i would uh bring up one is it's not your responsibility to make everyone happy in fact i would take it a step further you cannot make someone happy because if someone is suffering inside there's nothing you can say do buy for them to make that, they have to deal with their suffering themselves. Now you can share, show them love. You can be caring. You can be compassionate. You can listen, right? You can be supportive, but you can't fix them, right? So there's this question of like control. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will struggle with because we are like high agency people. Like I want to be rich and you become rich and I want 50 million Twitter followers, 50,000 Twitter followers and I will get 50,000. I want to build a company and I will go build a fucking company, Right. People do that. They believe that. But then like, but it's a rude awakening when you realize that that doesn't extend to all parts of your life, <laughs> especially death. But we won't come back to that word. We spent enough time on that. Um, so so you, you acknowledge that which is outside of, of your control and you, you recognize that you cannot make someone happy, right? You can create the environment for them to be happy, but you can't make, I cannot make you happy. Right? If I could wire you $10 million, like that wouldn't make you happy. It might make you temporarily, like it might make you smile and it might change your life, but it's not going to change. If there's a suffering inside of you, it's not going to make that go away. Um, and, then, 
And then the last one, this is probably like more wearing my manager hat is, um, you know, kind of like the Kim Scott radical candor, right? You can care about someone, but you can, you can critique them with respect, right? And in fact, and this is actually one of our principles in our company is to care personally, but challenge directly, which means you don't like beat around the bush if someone made a mistake. You also don't tear into them, but you're just like, hey, there was a mistake that was made. These are the consequences. Um, what shall we do so that this doesn't happen again? And then, yeah. and then let, like, put it down, right? Don't let the egos and the uh, uh, intensity and the fire and the emotion bubble up. Yeah. Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk calls this kind candor, and he's like, this is the mm-hmm. one thing that I've had the most trouble with all my career mm. was being mm-hmm. able to hold kindness with telling the truth to an employee who did something wrong and that the situations mm-hmm. in his life when he has, where someone has thought poorly of him have all been around kind candor. So I just thought that was interesting. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And again, right. You cannot deal with someone else's suffering until you deal with your own suffering, right? I mean, his inability to deal with kind candor is something in him to heal, right? Mm-hmm. Just like we all have it. It's not unique yeah. to him. I have, I, I've, sh- I've shared many, many versions of mine with you all today. <laughs> yeah, I also like what you mentioned it before, what Ram Dass did, which was meditate with a politician he didn't like and mm-hmm. and just like if you could give that person love then you really could give anybody love because you disagree so fundamentally with them mm-hmm. and absolutely i mean we have a lot to learn about that in this moment in society right now yeah anything else come to mind before we go to a close Ooh. Any other topics you'd like to explore? I mean, I would love to ask. I, I would love to ask you. Um, what's your what's what's your why? What like what motive? I'm so when I see someone having so much, you know, external success, like I don't see the internal side of things, and I um, and I just I ask myself, like, like what? I'm so, always just so curious, like, what motivates? What's your why? Like, what motivates you to uh, to do what you're doing? Because you do it so well, and you know others recognize it. Um, so I always wonder that. Yeah, I mean, for me, there was a time when I wasn't doing well, in not so not so long ago. And and I feel like I am doing well today. And I just want to put that out there because that's the truth and like how it looks externally might not how it, it feels internally. And so, but what motivates me is to get to the place of internal peace and to stay there. Mm-hmm. That's That's today's truth. And mm-hmm. I know that when I am internally whole, it will reflect externally, but that's not even why I'm, I'm yeah. trying to get there. Um, so I'm trying to balance that, my Buddha nature, with also 
my social security number. So right now, my challenge is, how do I get paid to be internally whole? Is that something you mm. think you could help me with or like help me navigate? Wow. Like how, how does one be internally whole? Society does not necessarily give you credit for being internally mm. whole. So how do you come to the place of making money from that? Oof. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> there's a few ways. So I would say that, you know, there's like a lot of different ways to look at this. Because in one way you could say like, look, who are, like, I am, you know, insert X, a single mom or college grad or like, I can't meditate for 90 minutes a day or I can't hire spiritual teachers and like that. And, you know, it's both true and it's false. Like, obviously, I recognize that I have a lot of privilege, you know, socioeconomically and and financially and in many other dimensions to be able to do many of the things that we've talked about today. But at the same time, a copy of the Upanishads and meditating for two hours a day is fucking free. Um, and so there's this like, there, you know, it might be one of these instances and, and, and here's like a very, here's like a very open struggle. Like I could, we could like, move to a tiny place with like a really low cost of living and I wouldn't have to work and we could, you know, cook our own food, grow our, you know, cook and grow our own food and homeschool our kids, whatever. And I wouldn't have to work again, but I don't want that. At least I don't want that today. And I don't, necessarily want to spend six hours a day cultivating a spiritual practice and maybe that i think that will change with as i get older i i could see that like in the near future more of my day is spent on it's already the, the trend lines are already moving that way um so so i would say maybe you know, there's the there's the element of financial security, right? And I forget you live in tri-state area. I live in New York with my parents you at this, this okay. precise moment. So you live in you live in New York. So high cost of living place, low cost of low cost of living arrangement in the moment. Uh, but like we all like, if you truly wanted to go on a journey to go to be more complete, it actually would not cost a lot of money. It's just that you'd have to let go of the conception that one has for their lives, whether that would be how you show up at you know the school PTA meeting, what car you drive, having a car, you know, where you eat, who cooks your food, you know, on and on travel. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so I think that there's like a, a bigger question of, you know, 
why, you know, how those desires are congruent with cultivating a deeper spiritual practice. And like I said, to me, they're still very compartmentalized, right? It's like, it's still like work first, but save, you know, two to three hours for this other stuff. But if work bleeds over, the other stuff kind of goes down to like one hour or 30 minutes, right? So it's still like, I've made a very kind of, through my actions, I've made a very specific decision that like there's a lot about this life whether it's like living in southern california whether it's being a solo entrepreneur whether it's being a father of two uh whether it's being you know someone that like likes to do enjoyable things like travel eat and surf right so there is the two are kind of trying to find where they sit relative to one another but i gotta tell you that I've reached a point where there's like, there is basically nothing that I want that's physical, like clothes or shoes or computers or cars or even surfboards or lifting equipment. Like there's nothing really that I want. Like, and I have a bunch of those things already, not like a ton of them. I have a car that works. Um, And so once you remove that from the equation, you start to see that or I've started to see that there's a very, there's a limit to what money can buy me in terms of enjoyment, right? And that's in part because I do make a good living. So, you know, full disclosure that I've, you know, I've had financial security for a while. But it's also like I've bought a lot of shit and realized it didn't make me happy. And so I've stopped doing that. Just to interject real quick. Yeah. What do you think of the idea that in order to get to the point of realizing that money doesn't make you happy, you first need to have money? I mean, it, it's, it's really right. It's like Jim Carrey said. Like everyone wants to be rich and famous uh, until they're rich and famous, or you know some, something like that. Uh, and it's well, easy. Everybody to, should get rich and famous oh, so that they just realize so they, they do, that, ri- that they rich and fame it. is not the thing you want. But I think there's I, some there's some truth to the fact that you can't really renounce something yeah. until you've already had it. I, uh, agreed. Um, and and I think that's why you know you and I bond so much about self-awareness and introspection, personal introspection, right? Because you could say like, I want to, I want to be the next Bezos, right? And that will probably take you, you know, if you're lucky and every single star aligns like 30 years starting to, if you started today. So what if after every quarter we did a little pulse check, like, do you still really want this? Why do you want this? At what cost do you want this? Have you ever considered wanting something else? Um, does this make you smile, this pursuit? And maybe in Q1, you'd be like, no, it didn't make you smile, but I don't care. I want to be, you know, I got, you know, 29 years and three quarters left. Just having those like little mile markers to check in on, on like what you want 
right? First, you got to know what you want. So kudos to that person for like being so emphatic and crystal clear that they want to be the next Bezos in 30 years. Assuming they've done like the deep analysis in their own heads as to why they want that, right? But then would you just like blindly go on that path for 30 years and not check in with yourself and be like, is this still what I want? And on and acknowledge the fact that the world is a very cha- fast changing, rapidly changing place and a lot of things are transient and so on and so on and so on, right? And so what I would say to the person is like, I waited like, like I got off the treadmill after being on it for, you know, 15-ish years. I didn't really start questioning it until the last five. The first 10, I was just like sucking down the Kool-Aid. And I fundamentally believe that, yes, like I am the collection of my prior experiences, right? I couldn't have started Rad Reads if I hadn't been miserable on Wall Street because I write about being miserable on Wall Street. Like, this is that simple, Right, So I think we're in the collection of our experiences, but it doesn't give us a free pass to not check in with ourselves mm-hmm. and see if the ship's moving in the right direction and see if the direction is still the direction you want to go in. I don't think you actually answered my question, though, about no. making money. Do you need to? Yeah. Well I, well, I would say, first of all, what does making money mean, right? If yeah. you're... Uh, 21 years old and you get a $15,000 bonus signing bonus. Like that's a fuckload of money. Right. Uh, If you're a 45 year old and you live in Manhattan beach where the starting home price is 1.8 million, like that 15. So a lot of money is not even, I would say like, you got to be more clear, right? A lot of money so that you never have to worry about money again, so that you could buy anything you ever wanted again. So you could provide Mm -hmm. for your, your ailing, your, your, your aging parents. Like, yeah. you know, again, it's just like put in some specificity in there, throw in a Y or two. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think that you can, you, you have to experience a lot of things yourself, but thankfully there are a lot of teachers that have done it for you. Now you shouldn't just accept what the teachers say willy-nilly but you know especially if you find the right teachers that have gone through it right and that's why like a lot of these buddhism or stoicism it's like we could pick up stoicism today two thousand years later or whatever and you're like oh shit this is talking to me mm-hmm. that's when you realize it's not a money thing it's not a it's a human condition thing but again if it takes you the money or look around Right. One of the clues for me was when I was a 35-year-old on Wall Street, I looked at people who were 15 years older than me, and they had the big houses in Summit and two X5s and the summer house, and the kids went to the private school. And I just looked. I was like, I say this without judgment, I don't want that for me. Right. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily an assessment on wealth or not, but it was like the path dependency of it. Right with with the fact that there's many 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 markers, and I think you can also along the way ask these questions like what's enough, right? What's enough? Yeah, it's it's fascinating because I I know where you're coming from, mm-hmm. and and I'm coming from a, a different place entirely. Yeah, of of zero dollars in income currently. Mm-hmm. 
um, of being in debt, of living with my parents, of like also understanding I want to, I want to do this. I want to pursue what I feel is truth. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, I mean, I'm not at the point where I'm saying like, what's enough? Like this is a, mm-hmm. a crazy amount. I'm like, should I start a course? Is that real to me? And so mm-hmm. it's different questions. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think that your, your questions are, and your, the way you're, you're talking about money is definitely valid for a lot of people. It just mm-hmm. is not hitting home with me because I'm yeah. in a completely different place than what you're totally. talking about. No, and thank you for reminding me of the empathy required for, you know, to understand someone else's, right? Was it um, Kill a Mockingbird? You won't understand someone else until you've walked a mile in their shoes, right? And yeah. it's been a long time since uh, since um, my income was zero, right? Yeah. Um, and honestly, what, what, I, what I would say is um, is a few things, right? Is like, Go for it, you know, go for it, but understand why you want it. Mm-hmm. And if it for you is like seven figures, if it for you is, you know, buying your first apartment, is it for you is get, you know, paying that, you know, go for, go for it, right? As long as, and, and, and know, and know why, why you want it. Yeah. And then just course correct along the way. Cause it might turn out that, Taking your debt to zero might be the greatest thing. It might actually be, bring you enduring peace and happiness. Maybe mm-hmm. it might be like nice. What's next? Or it might be a non-event. But only you will know that in that moment, right? And no one can tell you what that will be in that moment. And once you get there, you might be like, "Wow, like my life is significantly better because I did this." And so the next thing might be, you know, moving into your own apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you get there, and and you should absolutely go for that, right? One of my teachers says, "Have a plan, hold it lightly." Mm-hmm. So have a plan, hold it like don't get so obsessed with the outcome that it like kind of causes you to suffer in the moment. And then um, and then reassess. But the beautiful thing about you is that you have a, you have a secret weapon. You have a not so secret secret weapon. Is that because you're so used to conversing with yourself, you'll actually be self regulating along the way, and you'll say to yourself when you pay off that debt, you're like, I thought that I was gonna feel like you know, LeBron James and his chalk, you know, his chalk routine at the beginning. Like, that's what I thought I was going to feel. And what did I feel like? I felt like having a beer. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But only you will know. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to be able to look at oneself while going through this process we call life because the highs and the lows are so often just what we think they'll be and what they actually are are different and Mm -hmm. um, I'm grateful for you for 
for just having this openness and awareness and experience. And uh, I know we're over on time here, so I'll uh, <laughs> we'll wrap it up. But uh, yeah, thank you for giving me space to just be here. And I'm grateful for you bringing that same uh, energy and awareness. So thank you. Hey, Danny, the pleasure is mine. And, and I just got it. I thank you for, you know, inviting me on and, and the open and the great questions. Um, and I just, I just want to say that I was actually with one of my spiritual teachers and I, and I said, you know, there are so few people that I, that I can have this conversation with. Mm-hmm. And by this, I mean many of the things you and I talked about today. And, you know, take it for what it's worth. But to me, that is just such a sign, you know, uh, and I'm I'm not not saying this to blow smoke up your ass. Um, It's such a sign of, of like wisdom and curiosity and self-awareness. Things that are, you know, obviously I've shared are are very important to me, but to, to turn it around you know, I don't know our age difference, but it's considerable. Um, and, and I think that's just, I just want everyone to sit with that, right? That like, you know, we talked, we ended on this note of like, you know, bank account X versus bank account Y, but at the same time, we're, we're all grappling with the same questions. Um, and, you know, you have wisdom beyond your years. And I learn from you um, every time we talk. And as I follow you and your work, and so um, the th- the thanks and the love and the gratitude are are right back at you. Yeah, and I think that a key point of that is just understanding that we're really just the same in a real yeah. sense, and we're ninety nine point nine percent similar. And mm-hmm. if we can all just treat each other like ninety nine point nine percent similar. I think the world might be a, a little bit better place and at least your interactions might be better starting with that. So thank you, Kay, for the kind words and beautiful time. We should do this more often. And where where should we send the people for more Kay in their life? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I w- I'm game to do this. We don't even have to hit record. We could do this. Um, I bet they want us to hit record. Um uh, <laughs> But uh, thank you. I think that the best place, we actually created a, a little page for, for your listeners, radreads.co slash Miranda. And so there we have a free training that goes through a lot of these different concepts, um, 10K framework, things like that. So uh, it's 10, uh, radreads.co slash Miranda. And my Twitter, my, my only social act account is uh, Kemerid, which is too long to spell, but you'll find it in the show notes. Yes. Yes, you will. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, this was great. To many more. Thanks, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast with Kay. He, I know, is one of the longest episodes to date. One hour, almost 45 minutes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you enjoyed it, please let somebody know about this episode, somebody who's a deep thinker, who's reflective, who asks the big questions. I'd love if you could share this episode with them. Thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Peace.